Chapter 2 The Council of Elrond The next day Frodo woke early, feeling refreshed and well. He walked along the terraces above the loud-flowing Brunean, and watched the pale, cool sun rise above the far mountains and shine down, slanting through the thin silver mist. The dew upon the yellow leaves was glimmering, and the woven nets of gossamer twinkled in every bush. Sam walked beside him, saying nothing but sniffing the air, and looking every now and again with wanderer's eyes at the great heights in the east. The snow was white upon their peaks. On a seat cut in the stone beside a turn of the path, there came Gandalf and Bilbo, deep in talk. Hello, good morning, said Bilbo. Feel ready for the great council? I feel ready for anything, answered Frodo. But most of all, I should like to go walking today and explore the valley. I should like to go into those pine woods up there. He pointed away on the far side of Rivendell to the north. You may have a chance later, said Gandalf, but we cannot make plans yet. There is much to hear and decide today. Suddenly, as they were talking, a single clear bell rang out. That is the warning bell for the Council of Elrond, cries El Gandalf. Come along now, both you and Bilbo are wanted. Frodo and Bilbo followed the wizard quickly along the winding path back to the house. Behind them, uninvited and for the moment forgotten, trotted Sam. Gandalf led them to the porch where Frodo had found his friends the evening before. The light of the clear autumn morning was now glowing in the valley. The noise of bubbling waters came up from the foaming riverbed. Birds were singing, and wholesome peace lay on the land. To Frodo, his dangerous flight and the rumours of darkness growing the world outside seemed only the memories of a troubled dream. But the faces that were turned to meet them as they entered were grave and sad. Alrond was there, and several others were seated in silence about him. Frodo saw Glyfindor and Gloin, and in the corner alone Strider was sitting, clad in his old travel-worn clothes again. Alrond drew Frodo to a seat by his side and presented him to the company, saying, here, here, my friends, is the hobbit, Frodo, son of Drogo. Few who ever come hither through great peril or on an errand more urgent. He pointed out and named those whom Frodo had not met before. There was a younger dwarf at Gloin's side, his son Gimli. <coughs> Beside Glyfindor there were several other councillors of Elrond's household, of whom Aristor was the chief, and with him was Galandor an elf from the Grey Havens who had come on the errand from Surin the Chipbride. Shipbride. There was also a strange elf clad in green and brown, Legolas, a messenger for his father Thorindor, the king of the elves in northern Mirkwood. And seated a little part was a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark-haired and grey-eyed, proud and stern of glance. He was cloaked and booted as if for a journey on horseback, and indeed though his garments were rich and his cloak was lined with fur, they were stained with long travel. He had a collar of silver in which a single white stone was set. His locks were shorn about his shoulders. On a baldric he wore a great horn tipped with silver that was now laid upon his knees. He gazed at Frodo and Bilbo with sudden wonder. Here, said Elrond, turning to Gandalf. This is Boromir, a man from the south. He arrived in the grey morning and seeks for counsel. I have bidden him to be present, for here his questions will be answered. Not all that was spoken and debated in the council now needs to be told, but much of it was said in the events of the world. much was said of the events of the world outside, especially in the south, and in the wide lands east of the mountains. Of these things Frodo had already heard many rumours, 
but the tale of Goyan was new to him, and when the dwarf spoke he listened attentively. It appeared that amid the splendour of their works of hand, the hearts of the dwarves of the lonely mountain were drowned and troubled. It is now many years ago, said Gloin, that shadow of disquiet fell upon our people. Whence it came we did not at first perceive. Words began to be whispered in secret. It was said that we were hemmed in a narrow place, and that the greater wealth and splendour would be found in the wider world. Some spoke of Moria, the mighty works of our fathers that we called in our own tongue, Kazundum. And they declared that now at last we had the powers and the numbers to return. Gloin sighed. Moria, Moria, wonder of the northern world, too deep we delved there, and woke the nameless sphere. Long have its vast mansions lain empty since the children of Durin fled. But now we spoke of it again with longing, and yet with dread, for no dwarf has dared to pass the doors of Khazadun, for many lives of kings save Thrall only. And he perished. At last, however, Balin listened to the whispers and resolved to go, and though Dain did not get give leave willingly, he took with him Ori and Oyen, and many of our folk, and we went away south. It was nigh on thirty years ago, <clears throat> for while we had news, and it seemed good, messages reported that Moria had been entered and a great work begun there. Then there was silence, and no word has come from Moria since. Then about a year ago a messenger came to Dain, but not from Moria, from Mordor, a horseman in the night, who called Dain to his gate. The Lord Sauron the Great, so he said, wished for our friendship. <clears throat> the rings he would give it for it, such as he gave for old. He asked urgently, urgently concerning hobbits, of what kind they were, and where they dwelt. For Sauron knows, said he, that one of these is known to you on a time. At this we were greatly troubled, and we gave no answer. Then his fell voice was lowered, and he would have sweetened it if he could. As a small token of only your friendship, Sauron asked this, he said, that you should find this thief. That was his word. And and get it from him, willing or no, a little ring, the least of rings, that he once stole. It is but a trifle that Sauron fancies, and in earnest of your goodwill. Find it, and three rings that the dwarf sawyers possessed of old shall be returned to you, and the realm of Moria will be yours forever. Find only news of the thief, wherever he lives and where, and you will have a great reward and lasting friendship from the Lord. Refuse, and things will not seem so well. Do you refuse? And at that his breath became like a hiss of snakes, and all who stood by shuddered. But Dian said, I say neither yea nor nay. I must consider this message and what it means under its fair cloak. Consider well, but not too long, said the messenger. The time of my thought of my, is my own to spend, answered Dion. For the present, said the messenger, and rode into the darkness. Heavy have the hearts of our chieftains been since that night. We needed not the foul voice of the messenger to warn us that his words both held menace and deceit, for we knew already that the power has re-entered Mordor and has not changed, and it has ever betrayed us of old. Twice the messenger has returned and gone unanswered, the third and last time, so he said, is soon to come, before the end of the year. And so I have been sent at last by Dain to warn Bilbo that he is sought by the enemy, and to learn, if he may, why he desires this ring, the least of all rings. Also we crave the advice of Elrond, for the shadow grows and draws nearer. We discover that messengers have come also to the King Brandon Dale, and that he is afraid. We fear that he may yield. 
Already war is gathering on its eastern borders. If we make no answer, the enemy may move men of his rule to assail King Brand and Dian also. You've indeed done well to come, said Elrond. You'll hear today all that you need to in order to understand the purposes of the enemy. There is naught that you can do other than to resist, with hope or without it. But you do not stand alone. You will learn that your trouble is but part the trouble of all the Western world. The ring. What shall we do with the ring, the least of the rings, the trifle that Sauron fancies? That is the doom that we must deem. That is the purpose for which you are called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and here met, this in the very nick of chime, by chance it may seem. Yet is it, not, it is not so. Believe rather that it is ordered, so that we who sit here, and none others, must now find counsel for the peril of the world. Now, therefore, things shall be openly spoken that have been hidden from all but a few until this day. And first, so that all may understand what is the peril, the tale of the ring shall be told from the beginning, even to this present. And I will begin that tale, though others shall end it. Then all listened while Elrond in his clear voice spoke of Sauron and the rings of power and their forging in the second age of the world long ago. A part of his tale was known to some there, but the full tale to none, and many eyes were turned to Elrond in fear and wonder as he told of the elven smiths of Aragon and their friendship with Moria, and the eagerness for knowledge by which Sauron ensnared them. For in that time he was not yet evil to behold, and they received his aid and grew mighty in craft, whereas he learned all their secrets and betrayed them and forged secretly in the mountain of fire the one ring to be their master. But Celebrimor was aware of him and hid the three which he had made, and there was war, and the land was laid waste, and the gate of Moria was shut. Then through all the years that followed he traced the ring, but since that history is elsewhere recounted, even as Aaron himself set it down in the books of law, it is not here recalled. For it is a long tale, full of deeds great and terrible. And briefly, though, Elrond spoke, the sun rose high in the sky, and in the morning ere he ceased. Of Numenor he spoke, its glory and its fall, and the return of the kings of men to Middle-earth out of the depths of the sea, borne upon the wings of a storm. Then Elendil the Tall and his mighty sons, Isildur and Arnorum, who became great lords in the north realm, they made in Arnor, in the south realm and Gondor above the mouths of Anduin. But Sauron of Mordor assailed them, and they made the last alliance of elves and men, and the hosts of Gilgalad and Elendil were mustered in Arnor. Thereupon Auron paused a while and sighed. I remember well the splendour of their banners, he said. It recalled to me the glory of the elder days and the hosts of Beleriand. So many great princes and captains were assembled, and yet not so many, nor so fair as when Tharagodim was broken, and the elves deemed that evil was ended forever, but it was not so. You remember, said Frodo, speaking his thought aloud in his astonishment, but, but I thought, he stammered as Elrond looked towards him, I thought the fall of Gilgalad was long ago. Yes, it was, answered Elrond gravely, but my memory reaches back even to the elder days. Arendel was my sire, who was born in the gone before its fall, and my mother was Elwing, daughter of Dior, son of Luthien of Dorath. I have seen three ages in the west of the world, and many defeats and many fruitless victories. I was the herald of Gilgalad and marched with his host. 
I was at the Battle of Dargalon before the Black Gate of Mordor, where we had the mastery for the Spear of Gilgalad and the Sword of Elendil, Argalos and Nassil, none could withstand. I beheld the last combat on the slopes of Orodrin, where Gilgalad died and Elendil fell, and Nassil broke beneath him. But Sauron himself was overthrown, and Isildur cut the ring from his hand with the hilt shard of his father's sword, and took it for his own. At this the stranger Boromir broke in. So that's what became of the ring, he cried. If ever such a tale was told in the south, it has long been forgotten. I've heard of the great ring of him that we do not name, but we believe that it perished from the world in the ruin of the first realm. Isildur took it. <sighs> that is tidings indeed. Alas, yes, said Elrond. Isildur took it, as should not have been. It should have been cast into the Orodom's fire nigh at hand where it was been made. But few marked what Isildur did. He alone stood by his father in that last mortal context, contest, and by Gilglad only Surdin stood, and I. But Isildur would not listen to our counsel. This I will have as a wergold for my father and my brother, he said. And therefore, whether we would or no, he took it to treasure it. But soon he is betrayed by it to his death, and so it is named in the north Isildur's bane. Yet death maybe was better than what else might have befallen him. Only to the north did these tidings come, and only to a few. Small wonder is it that you have not heard of it, Boromir. From the ruins of Gladden Fields, where Isildur perished, three men only came back over the mountains over a long wandering. One of them was Otar, the esquire of Isildur, who bore the shards of the sword of Elendil, and he brought them to Valendil, the heir of Isildur, who, being but a child, had remained here in Rivendell. But Narsil is broken and its light extinguished, and it has not yet been forged again. Fruitless, did I call the victory of the last alliance? Not wholly so, yet it did not achieve its end. Sauron was diminished, but not destroyed. His ring was lost, but not unmade. The dark tower was broken, but its foundations were not removed, for they are made with the power of the ring, and while it remains, they will endure. Many elves and many mighty men and many of their friends have perished in the war. Anarion was slain, and Isildur was slain, and Gilgalad and Elendil were no more. Never again shall there be such a league of elves and men, for men multiply, and the firstborn decrease, and the two kindreds are estranged. So ever since that day, the race of Numenor has decayed, and the span of the years has lessened. In the north after the war and the slaughter of Gladdenfields, the men of Westerness were diminished, and the city of Anamuas beside the lake Everdim fell into ruin, and the heirs of Valindal removed and dwelt to Fornost in the high north downs. And that now too is desolate. Men call it dead men's dyke, for they fear to tread there. For the folk of Arnor dwindled, and their foes devoured them, and their lordship passed, leaving only green mounds in the grassy hills. In the south, the realm of Gondor long endured, and for a while its splendour grew, recalling somewhat of the might of Numenor ere it fell. High towers that people built, and strong palaces and places and havens of many ships. And the winged crown of the kings of men was held in awe by the folk of many tongues. Their chief city was Osgiliath, the citadel of stars, through the midst of which the river flowed. And Minasathil they built, the tower of the rising moon, eastward upon a shoulder of the mountains of shadow and westward at the feet of the white mountains Minasaur they made, tower of the setting sun. There in the courts of the king grew a white tree, from the seed of that tree which Isildur brought over the deep waters, 
and the seed of that tree before came Erisia, and before that of the uttermost west of the day before days, and the world was young. But in the wearing of the swift years of Middle-earth, the line of Melindal son of Anarion failed, and the tree withered, and the blood of Nimerianians became mingled with that of lesser men. Then the watch upon the walls of Mordor slept, and dark things crept back to Gorgoroth. And on a time evil things came forth, and they took Minas Ithil and abode in it, and made it into a place of dread. It is called Minas Morgul, the Tower of Sorcery. Then Minas Anor was named anew Minas Tirith in the Tower of the Guard, and these two cities were ever at war. But Osgoleth, which lay between, was deserted, and its ruins, in its ruins shadows walked. So it has been many, for many lives of men, but the lords of Minas Tirith still fight on, defeating and defying our enemies, keeping the passage of the river from Aragonoth to the sea. And now that part of the tale I should tell is drawn to a close. For in the days of Isildur the ruling ring passed out of knowledge, and the three were released from dominion. But now in this latter day they are in peril once more, for to our sorrow the one has been found. Others shall speak of its finding for in that I played only a small part. He ceased, but at once Boromir stood up, tall and proud before them. Give me leave, Master Elrond, said he, first to say more of Gondor, for verily from the land of Gondor I come, and it would be well for all to know what passes there, for few, I deem, know of our deeds, and therefore guess little of our peril, or their peril, if we should fail at last. Believe not that in the land of Gondor the blood of Numir is spent, nor all its pride and dignity forgotten. For by our valour the wild folk of East are still, un, are still restrained, and the terror of Morgul kept at bay, and thus alone our peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the West. But if the passages of the river be won, what then? Yet that hour maybe is not far away. The nameless enemy has arisen again. Smoke rises much more for Arundurin that we call Mount Doom. The power of the black land grows and we are hard beset. When the enemy returned, our folk were driven from Ithlion, our fair domain east of the river, though we kept a foothold there and a strength of arms. But this very year, in the days of June, sudden war came upon us out of Mordor, and we were swept away. We were outnumbered, for Mordor has allied itself with the Easterlings and the cruel Haradrim. But it was not by numbers that we were defeated. It was a power, something there that we have not felt before. Some said it could be seen like a great black horseman, a dark shadow under the moon. Wherever he came, a madness filled our foes, but fear felt on our, fell on our boldest, so that the horse and man gave way and fled. Only a remnant of our eastern force came back, destroying the last bridge that still stood amongst the ruins of Oscalith. I was in the company that held the bridge until it was cast down behind us. Four only were saved by swimming, my brother and myself and two others. But still we fight on, holding all the west shores of Anduin, and those who shelter behind us give us praise, if ever they hear our name. Much praise, but little help. Only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call. In this evil hour I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. hundred and ten days I have journeyed alone. But I do not seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. I come to ask for counsel and the unravelling of hard words. For on the eve of the sudden assault, a dream came to my brother in a troubled sleep, and afterwards a like dream came off to him again, and once more to me. 
In that dream I thought the eastern sky grew dark and there was a growing thunder, but in the west a pale light lingered and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear. Seek for the sword that was broken, in Imurs it dwells, there shall be counsels taken, stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Of these words we could understand little, and we spoke to our father, Denetha, lord of Minas Tirith, wise in the law of Gondor. This only he would say, that Im Mildurus was the old name amongst the elves of the far northern dale, where Elrond the half-elfin dwelt, greatest of lawmasters. Therefore my brother, seeing how desperate was our need, was eager to heed the dream and seek out Ilmaldorus. But since then the way was full with doubt and danger. I took the journey on myself. Loth was my father to give me leave, and long have I wandered by the roads forgotten, seeking the house of Elrond, which many had heard, but few knew where it lay. And here, in the house of Elrond, more shall be made clear to you, said Aragorn, standing up. He cast his sword upon the table that stood before Elrond, and the blade was in two pieces. Here is the sword that was broken, he said. And who are you? And what have you to do with Minas Tirith? asked Boromir, looking in wonder at the lean face of the ranger in his weather-stained cloak. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, said Elrond, and he has descended through many fathers from Isildur Elendil's son of Minas Ithil. He is the chief of the, of the Dunedin in the north, and few are now left of that folk. Then it belongs to you and not me at all, cried Frodo in amazement, springing to his feet, as if he expected the ring to be demanded at once. It does not belong to either of us, said Aragorn, but it has been ordained that you should hold it for a while. Bring out the ring, Frodo, said Gandalf. The time has come. Hold it up, and then Boromir will understand the remainder of his riddle. There was a hush, and all turned their eyes on Frodo. He was shaken by a sudden shame and fear, and felt a reluctance to reveal the ring and a loathing of its touch. He wished he was far away. The ring gleamed and flickered as he held it up before them in his trembling hand. Behold, Isildur's bane, said Elrond. Boromir's eyes glinted as he gazed upon the golden thing. The halfling, he muttered. Is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last? Why then should we seek a broken sword? The words were not the doom of Minas Tirith, said Aragorn, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil, that broke beneath him when he fell. It has been treasured by his ears when all other heirlooms were lost. For it was spoken of old amongst us that it should be made again when the ring, Isildur's bane, was found. Now you have seen the sword that you have sought, what would you ask? Do you wish for the house of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? I was not sent to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of the riddle, answered Boromir proudly. Yet we are hard-pressed, and the sword of Elendil would be help beyond our hope, if such a thing could indeed return to the shadows of the past. He looked at Aragorn in doubt, with doubt in his eyes. Frodo felt Bilbo stir impatiently at his side, evidently he was annoyed on his friend's behalf. Sadding suddenly up, he burst out. All that glitters, all that is gold does not glitter. 
not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, deep roots are not touched by the frost. From the ashes the fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall the blade be that was broken, the crownless shall again be king. It's not very good perhaps, but to the point. If you need more beyond the word of Elrond, if, if that were worth of a journey of 110 days to hear, you'd best listen to it. He sat down with a snort. I made that up myself, he whispered to Frodo, for the Dunedin a long time ago when he first told me about himself. I almost wished that my adventures were not over, and I could go with him when his day comes. Aragorn smiled at him, and he turned to Boromir again. For my part, I forgive your doubt, he said. Little do I resemble the figures of Elendil and Isildur as they stand carven in their majesty in the halls of Denethor. I am but an heir of Isildur, not Isildur himself. I have had a hard life, and a long one. The leagues that lie between here and Gondor are a small part in the count of my journeys. I have crossed many mountains and many rivers and trod many plains, even into the far countries of Ruin and Harad where the stars are strange. But my home, such as I have it, is in the north. For there the heirs of Elendil have ever dwelt in a long line unbroken from father unto son for many generations. Our days have darkened and we have dwindled, but ever the sword has passed to a new keeper. And this I will say to you, Boromir, here I end. Lonely men we are, rangers of the wild, hunters, but hunters ever of the servants of the enemy, for they are found in many places, not in Mordor only. If Gondor, Boromir, has been the stalwart's stalwart tower, we have played another part. Many evil things there are that your strong walls and bright swords do not keep out. You know little of the lands beyond your bounds. Peace and freedom, you say. The North would have known them little but for us. Fear would have destroyed them. But when dark things come from the houseless hills or creep from sunless woods, they fly from us. What roads would dare any dare to tread? What safety would there be in quiet lands or in the homes of simple men at night, if the Dunedin were asleep or gone to the grave? And yet less thanks we have than you. Travellers scowl at us, and countrymen give us scornful names. Strider. I am the fat man who lives... I am... <laughs> Strider is how I'm known to one fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would not freeze his... Sorry. <clears throat> I've been given the name Strider by one man who lives within a day's march of foes and would freeze his heart, or lay down his town to ruin if, if we were not guarding him ceaselessly. Yet we would not have it any other way. A simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they will be. And we must be kept, be secret to keep them so free. That has been the task of my kindred, while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. But now the world is changing once again, a new hour comes, a Sildor's bane has been found. Battle is at hand, the sword shall be reforged. I will come to Ministerith. Isildur's bane is found, you say, said Boromir. I have seen a bright ring in the halfling's hand. But Isildur perished ere this age of world began, they say. How do the wise know that this ring is his? And how has it passed down the years until it's brought hither by so strange a messenger? That shall be told, said Elrond. But not yet, I beg, master, said Bilbo. Already the sun is climbing to noon, and I feel the need of something to strengthen me. 
I had not named you, said Aaron, smiling. But I do so now. Come, tell us your tale. And if, not, if you have not yet cast your story into verse, you may want to tell it in plain words. The briefer, and the sooner you shall be refreshed. Very well, said Bilbo. I will do as you bid. But I will now tell the story. And if some have heard me tell it otherwise, he looked sidelong at Gloin, I asked them to forget it and forgive me. I only wished to claim the treasure as my own in those days, and be rid of the name of thief that was put on me. But perhaps I understand things a little better now. Anyway, this is what happened. <laughs>